Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the match preview. Andrew Musker here, and as usual, joined by John Gibson. Newcastle head down to the capital to face West Ham at the London Stadium on Wednesday evening. A big game for both sides. Newcastle in the race for the top four, and West Ham, of course, in the race for survival. But before we start, John, I just want to get your take on what was a superb Sunday afternoon at St James's Park. Is Newcastle one out 2-0 win, 2-0 winners over Manchester United? Yeah, absolutely terrific. I mean, I optimistically took them to win in our podcast last week, uh, but I, I don't know that I was expecting the performance from the first minute to the 90th to be as good as it was. It was absolutely fabulous. This was Newcastle at the best, and this was confirmation that what we saw is the... Um, the buds of the spring at Forest was continued. I mean, we were, what a shame that, I mean, just looking back, what a shame the League Cup final hadn't been now because we're back in the form we were. Our little dip, and every team's going to have that over a long, odious season, our little dip just come at the wrong time, didn't it? Over the, over the League Cup final because we would have blown Manchester United away without being at St James's Park had it been now. Uh, but never mind, we're, we're third top. Everybody's trying to help us. Everybody's falling over each other. It's absolutely wonderful. If you take the weekend results from last night, I mean, there's, there's teams around us that failed to win. Liverpool, Brentford, Brighton, Fulham, Spurs, Obviously, Manchester United all failed to win. Now, you normally just get that sort of thing when you're in the relegation fight. Everybody fails to win around you because they're poor. These are the teams at the top and they fail to win. The only team that actually won, apart from the, the top two, which I, I dismiss because they don't really come into it, is Aston Villa. In this game, at the end of the three-match away run, is Aston Villa, which a few weeks back would have looked a shoo-in for three points, will be a tough old match now because they have, ironically, isn't it, Unai Emery uh, should be their manager, but they've had a, a, a huge revival, something like uh, Eddie produced in his first season. Emery's managed to produce at Villa. So that'll be a great game, but that's for the future. Right now it's West Ham and... Um, why shouldn't we walk with our heads held high and full of anticipation? Yes, it's away from home. Yes, it's three matches on the bounce away from home. That would normally produce trepidation for any side because three matches away from home. You know, they say three points at home, one away is a formula for success. But why should we settle for one away in these three matches the way we are playing at the moment? I mean, we've got the best stats of anybody in the Premier League. We've got the least defeats. There's only three defeats in 27 games. That's phenomenal. And only 19 goals conceded, uh, you know, which is, again, phenomenal. And uh, remember, we were saying last week, Andrew, I was asking for a clean sheet because uh, that's what we've been good at and that is, would be the basis to get a result. And we got it. And I was thrilled with that too. The, you know, I was thrilled with the goals. Goals for us is what matters. But it was good also to get the clean sheet. Yeah, I was going to say they never looked like conceding, which was, was great no. to see. As bad as my United were, Newcastle were absolutely fantastic. And it's nice to see them getting the national recognition for that. We know how good Newcastle United can be and how good they've been this season. But what's nice is that 
you know, national reports, national pundits are starting to realise that actually Sunday's win against Manchester United wasn't because Man United let Newcastle just run all over them. Yeah. Newcastle, you know, punished them and Newcastle were on the top of their game. And it's I mean, nice to get that recognition. We know that Manchester United they were bad, but do you know why they were bad? Because we were so good. We yeah. didn't let them be good. You know, sometimes we don't get credit. If, if Newcastle are a bit iffy, we say Newcastle are iffy. And if Newcastle will win, we say it's because the opposition was bad. Well, it wasn't because the opposition was bad. It's because we made them bad. They couldn't handle our high press, our energy, our enthusiasm. They couldn't handle it. Um, and, and therefore, they looked bad. But, uh, you know, I mean, they... Their attitude to the game, though, you know, they, they've got some weak and flaky characters on their side, and we haven't. We've got everybody, the old famous phrase, heart the size of a frying pan. We've got 11 of those, plus the subs that come on. They haven't. And so when they're coshed, they haven't got the big hearts to fight back in the way that Newcastle would. A lot of people saying, John, that was probably the best performance of the mm. season. Are you of agreement? Yes, I think I am. I mean, off the top of my head, just thinking of it straight away. Yes, Man City at home was a terrific performance, but not for the 90 minutes. For about an hour against Man City when we were 3-1 up, it was sensational. The last half hour was hang on. There was no hang on with this. That's what I loved about it, you know. They had the audacity to talk about us being annoying and time wasters and all that before the game. We were so time wasting that we scored the second goal to finish them off with a couple of minutes or so left to play. We we didn't put people on and just sit back. And by the way, the gear was uh, time wasting in the first five minutes on balls played to him. So how dare they? I mean, what a joke that turned out to be. But we went out and killed the game off at 1-0 with a second goal late on, and it was terrific. You know, I went through the team, and it was hard to mark anybody down. You know, they, you normally get six people, eight people have a good game, and they carry through the other three or whatever who are a little bit iffy. I mean, everybody. Picking the man of the match was the greatest difficulty because Trippier was outstanding. Bruno, well, when is he not? And he won the battle of the Brunos. Their Bruno was just a winger, and our Bruno got on with the game. Willick, superb. Missed a couple of sitters in the first half, never got his head down, still kept going and got the breakthrough goal. Isaac confirmed what we already know. I thought Botman did well. Maxi did well. Maxi, who got the nod when, he, when I thought he probably wouldn't get the nod to start, did very, very well. And suddenly we've got a bench, haven't we? You know, when you look at a bench and Wilson's sitting on it and Gordon's sitting on it and Joe Linton's sitting on it, it looks like a proper bench, doesn't it? You know, it, you've got some clout to bring on. It does. And one of the big discussion points that you and I had last week, uh, preview in the Man United game, was yeah. about the return of Joe Linton. And we weren't alone in just assuming Big Joe would be back oh, at start 11. Absolutely. Eddie Howe, you know, didn't change it up. And it was great to see that the players he stuck with absolutely stepped up. One of the names you didn't mention there, John, Sean Longstaff, I thought had a tremendous oh, game. And yes. look, I've been one of those who have questioned whether maybe long-term he's got, a, he's got a, a first-team future at Newcastle. If he can put in performances like he did against Manchester United week in, week out, then there's no question he's going to be here long-term. 
It was great to see Eddie Howe's decision not to reinstate Joe Linton. It, it was justified. And then it was great to see actually Joe Linton come off the bench and nearly grab a, grab a goal. And, and you know, so, yeah, what, what did you make of, of the decision not to start Joe Linton? I was surprised only in as much as Eddie Howe thinks so much of him. He really loves Joe Linton and sees him as a, a, an integral part of the success Newcastle had. I didn't think Joe could get into the midfield because I do appreciate what Sean Longstaff's become. And by the way, what a fella in his cap that is, that he was preferred to Joe Linton for the middle of the park and it was thoroughly justified on the match. I thought with um, with Maxi being brought off at half-time at Forest in the last game and Joe Linton now available, that he would have gone with Joe Linton wide left. He didn't. He went with Maxi, and that'll have done Maxi the world of good. And with with hindsight, you know, and perhaps in fairness to us, when we were doing the podcast last week, we didn't know this, but uh, Manchester United's regular uh, right back was ill overnight, if you remember, and he had a start dollar. He had had a start. Uh, now, if Eddie knows that's going to happen. This dollar in the in the cup final was massacred by Maxi in the first half before we let in the goals. In the he massacred him and he bought him off. Uh, Ten Hag bought him off at half time and put uh, the other guy on, and Maxi wasn't the same player again. So you would keep Maxi in the side if you knew he was going to play against this fella who he had on toast in the cup final and who would be wary of him. And I think that was a very shrewd move that justified going down that particular path. And in fairness to Maxi, didn't he do well? And there's always, my mate, Malcolm McDonald in particular, always is on Maxi's case about what about your assists, what about your goals? Those records are poor. I thoroughly understand that. But he got an assist on the first goal and what a, an incredible assist. When would you expect Maxi's assist to be a great header across the box for somebody to stick in instead of a, a little shimmy on the ground? And so, yes, I think that, you know, the team selection was absolutely justified because they got a hold of the game. And the great thing was that we had people like Wilson and Gordon and Joe Linton, who all can lay claim to be first teamers to come off the bench and that made a, a huge difference from what we've had in the recent past when we've had a thin bench yeah one of and obviously you know like, as we've mentioned there the options coming off the bench it's something Newcastle and I haven't had uh you know always this season so it's nice to see him really having a, a full a full strength bench to turn to and great to see Wilson come off it and grab the goal um, mm. That win, John, against Manchester United took Newcastle up to third, 50 points, same amount of points as Manchester United. Uh, Spurs' draw last night against Everton saw them uh, go up to 50 points wasn't as well. Great. Wasn't that great, though? I mean, were, that... were you cheering for the blue side of uh, Merseyside? Oh, was, was I? Was I? I've never been an Everton fan in my life, but I was last night. And doesn't it? Uh, I mean, do these sides want to get in the Champions League as much as we do? I mean, you, you can't believe it. Manchester United, that's as much as they could muster in that tank when when they were looking for a Champions League place. Spurs, 
who who have got is soft under belly when they're on the road. There's no question about that. Spurs go to to Everton. They go one nil up, and they're playing eleven men against ten. And with three minutes to go, they get a bloke sent off. And then with one minute to go, they concede a goal and they get one point instead of three. I mean, you talk about what Rafa Benitez might have played defensively when he had to with Newcastle with the side we had then. You talk about Conte being def- defensible. How defence-minded was Spurs last night? Sitting back, it's 11 against 10 and you're 1-0 up. And instead of putting your foot on the accelerator... You're twitching, you get a bloke sent off, deservedly so, by the way, what a horrendous tackle that was. And and then you concede an equaliser and you've got a draw. I mean, they're falling over themselves, these sides. If you look at it at the moment, the decider for the Champions League is going to be Newcastle and Aston Villa on the week <laughs> on Saturday. Well, this is, I mean, you mentioned there about, about Spurs and how defensive they were. I'm not even sure it was a game plan. I just don't even think they knew what they were doing because... The manager afterwards, the caretaker manager, claimed that he his team were trying to press Everton when they had the man advantage. And I don't know what game he was watching because I yeah. certainly didn't say any press and ludicrous. But you know, we'll take it, won't we? We'll take it because Ooh, it all helps it. Newcastle in the battle for the top four. Let's look ahead then, John, to the game against West Ham. West Ham, you know, not having a good season at all. Fourteenth in the league, twenty-seven points, only a point above. Um, the relegation zone, a big, big win for them in the hours before Newcastle beat Manchester United. They beat Southampton 1 0. Didn't yeah. play well, didn't play well, but they got the result. The first question I want to ask you, John, though, is given the changes in the dugouts at Chelsea and at Leicester, do we think, even despite David Moyes winning against uh, Southampton, that this is probably another must win game for him because? They are two very good managers now, potentially, out well, there to come in and replace them. I think West Ham must be about the only team down the bottom end of the table that now hasn't changed manager. When you think Southampton have and Leicester have, etc., etc., right across the board, they must be about the only... He has survived three must-win matches. Do you know that? He's been on the sack for three separate occasions. This is the game that if he loses it... He'll get the sack, and that was the Southampton one. And he gets a win somehow. I mean, I watched that game, and I'm pleased I did because they were very unimpressive. They might have won, but there's nothing for us to be scared of. I tell you what, I hope they play against us like they played against Southampton because we are four times the side Southampton is, and we'll take their trousers down and smack their backside if they play like that against us. And there's no question about that. They, They... and their crowd's on the turn, you know. If we play the way we can and we are strong at the back, their crowd's getting twitchy. There's a lot of Moyes outs feeling for all. I mean, last year, he was going to get knighthood. They'd finished six and seven. He's going to get a knighthood. Now they've got the sack out. They've been down to see Father Christmas and got his sack. And it's waiting on the touchline for, for him if they don't get the result. So it's, it, it'll be very iffy. And if we go about the game the right way, their supporters will take in water. And that will reflect in the team. Mm, yeah, it's going to be nervy, isn't it, from the terraces? And we mentioned there, you know, obviously Brennan Rodgers... Uh, Green Park, but also you know Rafa Benitez as well waiting in the wings. It, it could be, I think, with those names in the background, if Newcastle can get an early early goal, 
it could turn very volatile inside the London oh. Stadium very quickly. I mean, you've got the good managers sitting out there that are, that will possibly, though, go to Chelsea and Spurs, you know, the really big-name managers. But you've got all the other managers sitting out there. Rodgers will get a, a, a good job. You've got uh, the guy that was at Southampton, the Austrian, who's waiting for a job. You've got the American that was at Leeds waiting for a job. You've got Benitez waiting for a job. There's an awful lot of managers out there. And there's people looking at each other and saying, if we don't act now, we'll not get one of those managers because they'll be snapped up by somebody else. So the temptation's there. And West Ham are living. The, the, the problem they've got, or the problem we've got, is that they're surviving purely on their home record. Uh, their home record is six wins, three draws from 14 games. Away from home, they've won one in 13. They're where they are because of a shocking away record. Uh, and this is at home, and they scrape some results at home. Um, but, uh, you know, they're going to be... They've got a couple of good players in Rice and Bone, uh, for example. Declan Rice and Bone are quality. But every Premier League side's got a couple of good players. We've got eight, nine, ten good players. Um and that's the difference. And all things being equal, we've lost three out of 27. Can you see that becoming four out of 28 at West Ham? No. Uh, you may, it may happen sometime during the three away games. But if I was Eddie, you look at these three away games. You've got West Ham on Wednesday night. You've got Brentford on Saturday and then you've got Aston Villa. Now, if you're going to shuffle the pack or do anything to spread the load, um, you look at those three games, what's the most winnable? Probably West Ham. Yeah. Because Brentford's going great and Aston Villa are going even better. So possibly West Ham. So would you put out your strongest side against West Ham? Uh, because get the three points and you're really buzzing. And... If you take the old criteria, which we've talked about time and again, Andrew, if what is Eddie Howe's philosophy, it is don't change a winning team. And that's as good a win as you can get. So injuries permitting, and I'm talking about Willock here, injuries permitting, he could well go with an unchanged team down there rather than spread the load and see what the result is after West Ham. Yeah, I think if everything, if everyone's fit and raring to go, I can't see him changing it. Eddie Howe's had his press conference this morning, which is uh, Tuesday morning. He was asked about Willick and he said, I haven't seen him this morning, so I'll probably have to ring you later, he said to the journalist. I've not seen him, so it's too early. I think we're reasonably okay. There's a few tired bodies in the squad. It was a really big physical effort from us in the game. Hopefully nothing too major. And then he goes on to say, John, about needing the same kind of intensity that they showed against Manchester. They're going to need that against West Ham. He says, yes, I think we need to deliver that. It's going to be a real difficult game. They're a good team. We've had a slightly different season with Europe and all the games that they've played. I think they've an outstanding manager with vast experience and I thought they recruited really well in the summer. They've got a strong squad, so we're going to need a physical performance, another good technical and tactical performance. And it is just the quick turnaround, which I think will ask yeah. a few questions about the lineup. But yeah. like I mean, 
people want to play when they're winning, though. Even if they're running on 80%, 90%. Of course. When you're course. winning, that's where you find that extra 10, of isn't course. it? Of course. I mean, as usual, Eddie gave away everything, didn't he? I mean, he should be playing poker in Las Vegas. I mean, he, he, he gives away absolutely not. Bless him. Uh, it's against you. Well, I don't know why he bothers with the press conference because at the end of it, you know nothing else than you did at the start of it. And and I can understand why that is not meant as a criticism. Why play into the hands of the opposition by telling them exactly who's out and who's not in terms of fitness, etc., etc. And it's the usual platitudes and I thoroughly understand that. West Ham are a wonderful team with an outstanding manager. Excuse me, where are they in the table again? A wonderful team, they've won one out of 13 away with a, in, in, a, in a relegation fight. And an outstanding manager, bless him, he's never been outstanding since he was at Everton. Um, so it, it's the usual platitudes that you take with a pinch of salt. It is the politically correct thing to say and do not give anything away. But whether if Willock has any problem at all with, with, with a hamstring, then he doesn't play because that's always a risk, Willock, uh, a risk for anybody with that sort of injury. So if there's any sort of problem, he doesn't play. But he's got an automatic replacement in, in Joe Linton to go into midfield, if that's the case. And he could still keep it at only one change. And if Willock was perfectly all right and only had cramp, then you can play an unchanged team. And then you can look at it all after you get three points at West Ham for what you do with Brentford. Yeah, and again, we've you know we've mentioned, haven't we, here in the show, the options they've got. I mean, you'd like to keep Joe Willock in because he is a man in form. The of conversation course. about England is it, it's justified, you know, and he's probably having the best form of his career, except for that little purple patchy out when he came on loan. So you'd like to keep him going in in, in the side, but. If he does need to drop out, even if it's just missing the game against West Ham and having him ready for Brentford or that Villa game the week after, you know you can bring Joe Linton in, you could bring Elliot Arneson, you could bring Anthony Gordon in and mix it up. Eddie Howe has options. And it's just nice, John, I know I made the point earlier, but it's just nice to be able to say that, that oh, Eddie absolutely. Howe has quality options. Absolutely, because that is something we haven't had. We, how long have we said we've got, when everybody's fit, we have got a good starting 11, but we've got a very iffy bench. Uh, and, and that was the trouble. And that was the gap between us and the teams that win the championship. You look at Manchester City, champions four years out the last five, and their bench is as strong as the first team. They can play two first teams about equal status in terms of ability. Um, and that's what we haven't had. And we still need to address that in the summer because if you get injuries and we all get injuries and we all get suspensions, then the bench won't look so clever as it does at the moment. And bear in mind that that bench has also it got Almiran to come bench plus team, has got Almiran to come back into that. But this is as strong as it's been. Gordon needs a little bit of time to get up to uh, a 90-minute performance, uh, but he'll be anxious to do that, to kick-start his Newcastle career, which hasn't quite taken off. Absolutely delighted for Callum Wilson, because not only was he not scoring, but his form was extremely iffy. Since the World Cup, he has played very averagely indeed. That goal will have given such a lift as to be untrue. Uh, and we need him firing. We need everybody firing. I don't think, before the question's asked, 
that you would start with Wilson ahead of Isaac on um, at West Ham because Isaac played superbly well before Callum Wilson come on. And I think if you dropped Isaac now, you'd want your head examined. But it's nice to know that Wilson is in that sort of form and, and, and can come on and change a game for you. Wilson does like to play against West Ham, though, doesn't he? 10 goals and 12 games against West Ham. But Isaac loves playing away as well because he started three away games and he's got three goals. So, again, <laughs> if he's fit, it's got to be Isaac. I mean, again, it goes back to that. If everyone's fit, it's got to be unchanged. But you mentioned there, Miggy, and what I absolutely love, and I'm going to throw Joel in into the pool as well, is that you have two first team players there in Joe Linton and Almiron and they've been suspended or they've been injured now six months ago this time last season they miss out they you know they miss a couple of games whatever three or four games they're fit when you know that they come back they're fit there'd be no question they're straight back in that side when you know when Bruno got injured it was sure. when he's coming back in but what sure. I love about it at the moment is when they're fit as Joe Linton is and Almiron will be in a few weeks time they're not going to walk straight back in. They're going to have to work their backside off in training to just just to be within the discussion of getting back into that side because the people that have come in to replace them are taking their opportunities, and it's great to see. Well, I mean, we had a situation just recently where £100 million worth of, of talent in Isaac and Gordon, freshly bought talent, uh, was available to Newcastle, and they didn't get straight in the side. Isaac sat out and was a topic of conversation for ages, wasn't it? When's he going to start? When's he going to start? When's he going to start? And when when he did start, he was fabulous. Um, but he didn't get in the side. Gordon's in his position now. Gordon came um, at, at a time where there was some difficulty because he was League Cup tied and we had a Wembley final, so he didn't get in the side. Then he picked up this injury, so he's had to start again, start again, start again. He's had a little bit of an Isaac situation. Not an injury as long as, as Alexander's, but uh, the same sort of situation. He is going to be some player, you know, when he gets going. He's quick. Uh, he's young. He's got fabulous... He's got legs. He can... And he is... If you had to do an identical picture of an Eddie Howe player, then Anthony Gordon would be one of those you would use as an example of why he is an Eddie Howe player. And it doesn't matter what other sides think of him, etc. He's an Eddie Howe player. It's his type of player. So he will have a great impact on the side come by the end of the season, if not before. So there's a lot of a lot of good signs there. And um, it's good to see. And... Um, you know, the back just rolls over, doesn't it? The back just keeps going, keep going, keep going. 19 goals in 27 games. It was lovely to see Trippier right on top of his game against Man U, by the way. I think he deserves a mention because by his sky-high standards, I think he dipped a little bit of recent times. Wasn't quite on the ball, distribution, etc., etc. Caught out a couple of times positionally. Playing against Rushford, who was their superstar, their big man in a goal-scoring form, and therefore the big worry, and he played him magnificently. The, the the show pony on the other side, I found it a completely smiling situation between Anthony and, and Byrne, because Anthony's pace, he ought to burn, burn. Um, and he looked as if on a couple of occasions he would. But the big man, 
he, he grits his teeth, those long giraffe legs get wrapped round you and you go nowhere. And um, Anthony has got a heart the size of a pea, you know, he was very quickly not going to take anything else from the big man, thanks very much. And so that battle was won. I find it staggering watching Dan Burn, you know, because I find it fascinating. Because when he plays left back, bearing in mind he's also one pace, when he plays left back, you're thinking a good winger with pace is going to scatter him all over the park. It's fearsome because once he gets past him, he's not going to catch him. And you have that fear every game. And then you see something early in the game that confirms that. And then you don't see it anymore because he keeps at it. He keeps at it. He's done terrific for a lad that's playing out of position because for all he's played as many games as he has there, he's still out of position. He is a centre-half. Uh, but he's done terrific, and I've waited for him to be skinned, to be skinned, all season, and and it's not. Thank goodness, it's not happening. And good for him; he's made a real fist of a of a difficult situation. He must look alongside him all the time, mind, and look at Sven Botman and think he's some player. Him, if ever we buy a left back, what am I going to do about Botman? <laughs> no, very true. And like you say, I mean, you could go on and mention several of the names. But great to see the the fullbacks. Uh, playing really well. Again, some, you know, talented, talented players. Um, Let's hear what uh, David Moyes had to say. He's just held his press conference and he was asked about Newcastle United and he said, Bruno Gumresh is one player I mentioned earlier in the press conference, but there are lots of players. I'll meet you on Joe Linton, performance of the two centre-halves with the clean sheets they've kept. There are lots of good things about them. People talk about us in the same way this time last year, it's good. You have to build on it and it'll be interesting to see how they go. So before I ask you, John, about the battle of the Brazilians in the middle of the park, because, of course, Bruno's Bezimara Paqueta is uh, in there for West Ham. I want to just ask you about the point that David Moyes has made there. And he's, he, I think he's probably made it just to remind a few West Ham fans, wait there, we weren't too far behind Newcastle this time last season. Mm. Um, but it is a point that I want to ask you, you can throw Leicester City in this mix as well. You know, they were two teams that were said to be really challenging the established top four, top six. Newcastle yeah. are here now. Now, while we know Newcastle got a bit more money about them, they look like they've probably got a bit of a better plan about them as well. But given how their two seasons are gone, one manager's been sacked, one manager looks on the ropes, they're in a relegation battle. Is it a warning or a lesson maybe to be learned by the board and by Eddie Howe that you don't rest on your laurels. You know, wherever Newcastle finish this time around, whether it be top four, top six, you've got to make sure that you've got the squad to handle the European, uh, the rigours of it, and also continue to progress in the league. Yeah, that's an absolute valid point. And I don't think it'll be lost on Eddie Howe or the, or the uh, directors, and I don't think either will allow it to happen. But... When you're the new kids on the block and you make a big impression, it does. You can't suddenly sit out and get a big cigar out, and um, you know the blue smoke's drifting into the air, and the scent of the flowers is wonderful, and the, all of the world's wonderful because you're very quickly brought down to earth because there is always somebody else on the go. We have suddenly emerged from the pack for obvious reasons, and Villa will be better next season, you know. 
with Emery and with some summer work on who they can buy and everything. And then I'll ask you another question. Will Liverpool next season be as bad as they are now? Will Chelsea next season be as bad as they are now? I mean, some of the will Spurs with a new manager be as inconsistent as they are now? And probably. In, well, in their case, probably because that's their DNA. But I wouldn't bet on Liverpool and Chelsea no. being as poor as they've been this season. So next season, will Emery have Villa gone? We'll be gone. Will Chelsea be better? Will Liverpool be better? Arsenal and Man City aren't going to get worse. In Manchester United will expect to get better. Ten head. So the, the, the competition's always there. I think we've got more in depth and, and more subtleness about us than Leicester had and than West Ham had. Um, when they, Leicester they all went through that purple patch, they won the Premier League title against all odds, the FA Cup, they suddenly had a change. The son took over from the dad as chairman. It become a different ball game. They got the finances all wrong and they got themselves into awful lot of trouble. And I'm afraid that fairy tale is basically over. Um, West Ham, I always got the feeling that in the last two seasons they punched above their weight rather than being the discovered as the, one of the new emerging talents that's going to worry. I don't think the top six got worried by West Ham in the way they are worried now about Newcastle United because they didn't think West Ham would keep that going. And sure enough, they haven't done so. Um, but yes, it is a warning. Uh, it's a, not just a Newcastle, to every club that you know you start just thinking that's why do you think the top six wanted a super league in Europe and have it uh ringed so that there was no relegation, etc.? Because they didn't want snooty people like uh, like us and Aston Villa and that coming in and raining on their parade, so that's why they were trying to do that. But also, you know, the other thought is that to Newcastle and to everybody else. You can't go through a season fighting to get into Europe um, and desperate to get into Europe. Uh, and then if it just doesn't happen to be the Champions League, and I think it will be the Champions League, but if it doesn't happen to be the Champions League and it happens to be the Europa League, next season complaining because you haven't to play on a Thursday in Europe when you spent all this season trying to get into Europe. You've got to be able to handle that next season, the extra games and the extra travel and and not the minute you get a couple of bad results, start bleating, well this is because we're in Europe and we're playing twice as many games, you know. Well you wanted to be in Europe, that's what's supposed to be part of the deal, like so you've got to, you've got to be ready for that as well. But I've just got to, what reassures me about Newcastle, I always felt Leicester was built on on a fairy tale. And in a fairy tale, you always wake up from it. And then sometimes it's a nightmare. And I thought West Ham were built on a on, on a bit of let's throw all the confetti in there and see where it lands. And rather than with a real idea of going from A to Z, this is the plan and this is how we do it, etc. I think we are more structured in our approach and therefore we can last longer. But at the drop of a hat, we can go from playing um, Manchester United and absolutely ripping them apart to getting three iffy results because we're away from home and all of a sudden reality kicks in. Now, I think we are the best squad to have our feet on the ground and not to allow that 
three defeats and 27 tells us we are. But but there's a very thin line. I mean, you know, we could get two draws and a defeat away from home and all of a sudden you've got two points out of nine and all of a sudden you're saying something else about life. Um, so it, it it is a thin line you tread, but I think we treaded very well uh, and this season. As I say, three defeats in 27, 19 goals conceded in that 27. They aren't little bits of uh, candy floss. They are... Uh, that's over a six-month, seven-month period. That is terrific. Yeah, foundations. And, you know, you mentioned there, you, you, we're all on cloud nine, but it quickly changed, you know, Liverpool thrashing Manchester United and losing against Bournemouth. The Premier League is just oh. weird and wonderful, isn't it? So okay. it can happen. Yes, and, and and that's that's the the. It's not a worry because it's wonderful to have this. So, but that's the thing that Newcastle will guard about, and that's the thing Eddie Howe will be going on about when he goes down there. He'll be saying to the lads when they're in the hotel tonight down in uh, in London, and they're going to be for the next four or five days because he'll be saying to them, "Look, this win against Manchester United, we take all the confidence out of that. But we've got three away games here, boys." And if you're not on your metal, before you know where you are, a week's gone, you've played three away games and your points returns not at all clever and you're now sixth in the league or or whatever. So we've got to keep the foot on the accelerator and, and keep a clear head. Most certainly. And Newcastle go down to, to London looking to get uh, a result. If they avoid defeat, they'll go five unbeaten in London this season, which is the first time they've done that since 2014. So there's a, a lovely little stat for you, yeah. John. Um, let's just briefly talk about then the uh, the battle in the middle because Lucas Paqueta is starting to show exactly why Newcastle reportedly looked at him, why other teams looked at him, why West Ham finally paid all that money for him. David Moyes was asked about Paqueta's performance against Southampton. He said he's a really good player. And then he name drops uh, Gamaresh, calls him a really good player as well. He says Lucas has improved as he's gone along. It takes a little bit of time for some people. We're still looking for a bit more creativity and hopefully we can add that to his already good performances. But, you know, there's no getting away from it. Paqueta is a top quality player. He's in that Brazil squad. Um, you know, Newcastle are probably going to have to keep him quiet alongside uh, the likes of uh, Jared Bowen and Declan Rice. Yeah, they're the three standout players, but there's no question whatsoever as well that he's not as good as his mate. He's not as good as Bruno Gimmerich. There's no question about that whatsoever. If I could only have one of them, then we got the right one. Um, no question. And I'll tell you what, that Newcastle midfield, Bruno, Sean Longstaff, who might have been playing in the Championship a, a year ago, and Joe Willock, who initially went out of the side after he scored all those goals, uh, went on loan here, seven on the belt and equaled Alan Shearer's record. He then had a dip in form and everybody was saying, well, is this guy worth the 20 million? Who have we got here? You know, when 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 uh, Steve Bruce was still here, etc. They, as a midfield, absolutely bossed Manchester United, by the way. The middle of the field was ours. There was no question about that. Our three bossed the middle of the field. Yes, we bossed other positions as well, but we bossed the middle of the park. And I don't think we've got anything to worry about, particularly down there. Bourne going forward is is a, a decent, more than a decent player. And um, Declan Rice, of course, 
who's more defensively, but he's a good player. But we've played these guys before. Um, Declan Rice won't fancy going up against Bruno and won't fancy the dirty knees work of Sean Longstaff, etc. It, it isn't going to be an easy ride for him. He's a good, good player. There's no question about that. And there's no question he won't be at West Ham next season. He, he'll be with one of the Champions League sides. But at the same time, he, he, he's... They have a decent midfield, but I'll ask you one thing. How have they been in a relegation fight all season if the midfield's are good? Because they're not consistently good. Yeah. In fairness, Declan Rice is, but outside of him, they're not consistently good. It's certainly going to be an interesting game, and we'll be bringing you live coverage through our live blog over on chroniclelive.co.uk. John, we're going to sign off, as always, with your results prediction. How's this one going to go? Uh, this particular game, after the last three wins on the bounce and seeing our performance against Manchester United and believing this is the best out of the three away games on the bounce, this is possibly the, the, the one you look at more positively. Although right now you look at all Newcastle games positively. Newcastle to win. Newcastle win. I'm going to go a draw. I'm going to go a draw. I don't you did know. that with Manchester United. I know, I know. But do you know what it is? It's the Newcastle United fan in me thinking about old times and how, you know, it's so typical of Newcastle United to play so goddamn well against Manchester United. Then they go down to a West Ham side, who are in awful form. Okay, they're good at home, but, you know, they're in a relegation battle. On paper, Newcastle should run away with it. And I can just see them having to just battle really hard for a point. It's not going to be an easy game. Maybe it is just my reservations as an old Newcastle United I, fan. Um, hopefully, I'm wrong and they pick up all three points. But you know, I'm I'm going for a point at the very least. I can I can understand where that apprehension is coming from. But uh, if I look at it the other way, and I think we want to get a good points return because we're going Champions League. We've got three away games on the boat: West Ham, Brentford, and Aston Villa. Now, no away game in the Premier League is easy. But out of those three, which is the easiest one? You've got to say West Ham, uh, yeah. rather than Brentford and Aston Villa, the way Aston Villa are playing now. And so I'm looking for us to to uh, give us that bit of breathing space by winning at West Ham. Then if we draw at Villa or we draw at Brentford, then that's fine. Uh, but if we don't win at West Ham, then we've got to win one of the next two, if not two of the next two. So, mm. one step at a time, I'm going to take us to beat West Ham. I watched them play Southampton, and I tell you what, those two sides wouldn't grace the uh, championship. Yeah, it wasn't a great point. I think it's just going to take a little while, and I'm sure loads of uh, of you guys listening to this will, will probably share this sentiment, and John, you maybe as well. It's just going to take a little while just to get used to Newcastle being favourites in games, you know, for 80% of the games, 90% of the games they play, obviously, aside from maybe the top two, Listen Newcastle the games as favourites. And I still, I can't still get my head around it fully. And it's it's just going to take a little bit of time, I think. Well, if a young whippersnapper like you is is ingrained in Newcastle United to realise that they don't, that it's hard to to think of them as being favourites. I've had this since 1966, mate, uh, and and I found in all that time, even in the time of the entertainers and the great Bobby Robson side, 
I was still thinking like you. I was thinking this is fabulous, but the bubble's got to burst. And then when we lose four three at, at, at Liverpool in the KK days, you think, oh dear, that you know that's and we finished second, and it's all dear me. We finished second, two successive seconds. That's still something for any day, Matt. And and no doubt they'll get there, but. Two successive winners up in the Premier League still stands as a benchmark. Um, but I can thoroughly understand, other the years I've had, of being the world's greatest authority on failure, that um, we, we would feel like this. But I'm trying to get out of that cocoon and begin to think uh, positively. And I just sat against Manchester United, you know, and thought, I'm loving this. We're a different class to them. I'm loving this. And yes... You think it's only 1-0, so you think, oh, we're going to get smacked a little bit at the death for a 1-1. So, but then Callum Wilson's goal goes in and you do get the cigars out. But uh, it's a fabulous season and I don't want it to be spoiled. And it won't be spoiled by a point at West Ham, but it'll have to be made to feel a bit better with three. Yeah, 100%. Hopefully Newcastle I can pick up all three and boost their chances of a top three finish even further. If Ooh, you're new to the podcast... We're pushing the boat out now. <laughs> we've gone from can we make four against all the odds to can we be three. By the time we beat West Ham, we'll be telling Arsenal they're in danger. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're gunning for, isn't it? That's what we're gunning for. If you're new to the podcast, hit that like button and give us a rating and review if you can as well with some kind words about your thoughts on the podcast. Uh, myself and John will be back on Thursday, hopefully talking about... Uh, sorry, we're back on Friday. The days are all mixed up, John. All these midweek games in my mind. We'll be back on Good Friday. So with your fish and chips, you can uh, tune in to me and John previewing the game against Brentford, hopefully on the back of three points against West Ham. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week and it's been a pleasure as always.